So Cindy grew up uh, on the eastern side of Pennsylvania um, in a little borough called Elverson. Um, and when we drive to Elverson, I almost always get sick on the ride there. Uh, there's just something about spending eight hours in the car uh, driving on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Um, and we always get like the, the jumbo bag of Twizzlers for the drive. Um, you add those three things together and I have a stomach ache inevitably by the time uh, we get there to Elverson. And about a month ago, we drove out to Pennsylvania for my brother-in-law's uh, high school graduation. And when we arrived, like clockwork, I felt gross. Um, so I helped Cindy unpack the van and, and get the kids taken care of. And then I, uh, I took a walk to get some fresh air, hope, hoping this would help me to feel better. Um, and as I was walking through Cindy's hometown... I began thinking about how powerful prayer has been in the life of our church over the past few years. Because together as we've prayed, we've seen half a dozen people cured of cancer. We've seen a person's vision be restored, a baby's heart supernaturally healed. We've seen new ministries be formed and dozens of individuals taking new faithful, intentional steps and becoming fearless, selfless followers of Jesus. We have together prayed that God would intervene in our lives and God has not in any way disappointed us. In actual fact, I would say that God has exceeded my expectations because I know as I look back, it has felt like I've been praying one-inch prayers, and God has responded with 12-inch responses. So as I continued to walk there in Cindy's hometown, past the hardware store, towards the deli, uh, I was convicted in my spirit of my own lack of faith and the low expectations I often have when I pray. Because for most of my life, I've, I've prayed not so much because I believe that God will hear my prayer and answer, but because praying is just what good Protestant boys do. If someone is sick, you pray for them. And if you're especially pious, or maybe unsure of the efficacy of your prayer, you pray that God's will would be done. Because it sounds good. And it lets God off the hook if you don't get the response you want. But this is what I am I'm learning in this season. That God is honored by audacious prayers. God is honored by bold prayers. God is honored by the prayers that are so big that we can't take care of them ourselves. For us to pray that God would break through in our lives should be like jumping out of an airplane. Because I don't know if any of you have ever gone skydiving, but the parachute must be deployed in order to reach the ground safely. 
Because, believe it or not, when you are flying through the air at 120 miles per hour, there is nothing you can do to make it so that you don't go splat like a lightning bug on the windshield unless the parachute is deployed. When we pray for God to break through, it begins with the acknowledgement that we cannot manufacture positive outcomes. But our hope is that we know and love and trust a God who has promised to provide. Today's primary text comes from Psalm chapter 61, and here uh, David says, O God, hear my cry for help. Pay attention to my prayer. From the most remote place on earth, I call out to you in my despair. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. David is stuck. As he's writing this, he is in a place where he is stuck. And, and, and scholars aren't entirely sure how he is stuck. It, it could be uh, geopolitical strife. It, uh, it could be during one of the uh, many seasons of, of conflict with his own children. Um, it, it could be that he's actually on the side of a mountain, stuck. Um, or it could just be the angst of middle age settling in. But no matter how David is stuck, it is clear that David is stuck. He feels alone and powerless. Uh, the Hebrew phrase here is kara atuf leib, which in the NIV they translate, I call as my heart grows faint. Um, in the net it's translated, I call out to you in my despair. Uh, but this Hebrew phrase, if we directly translate it, it's translated, to you I cry out with a feeble inner man. There's just something about that image. Like this recognition that his inner man is feeble. There is no strength left within him. His seat of courage has lost all of its courage. His will is unwilling. This is a powerful man who feels completely powerless. He's at the end of his rope, and his prayer is, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me and lift me up to that safe crag just right there. Have you felt stuck before? Maybe you feel stuck now. And if so, uh, you know, the encouragement is that, that you aren't the first follower of Jesus to be in a season where things feel stale or stagnant. You aren't the first Christian to feel powerless. But Jesus has promised that he will never leave us or forsake us. And sometimes it is precisely these periods of stuckness that have been ordained for us in order to draw us back to God and to deepen our conviction that we are ultimately reliant on God's work in our lives. Mark Batterson writes that the truth is that God wants you to get where God wants you to go more than you want to get where God wants you to go. And he's completely right. But if you're like me, you probably don't often think this way. 
Because we live in a world that tells us that the only helping hand we can depend on is... No! Zig Ziglar! The only helping hand you can depend on is the one attached to the end of your arm. Oh, okay. I, I was sure you'd all get that. I'm... Hey. Hey, I, I'm glad that you think God's the only helping hand you can depend on. That's, that's a good thing. But that's not what the world tells us. Because we live in a world that tells us that we're the captains of our own destinies. And in this world, it is hard to believe that God truly cares about us. It can be hard for us to believe that God knows us by name, that God has a preferred future for our lives and wants to break through in us to lead us into it. To lead us to that next rock, which is higher than where we are. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 1. For God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He did this by predestining us to adoption as his legal heirs through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace that he has freely bestowed on us in his dearly loved Son. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our offenses, according to the riches of his grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and insight. He did this when he revealed to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, toward the administration of the fullness of the times to head up all things in Christ, the things in heaven and the things on earth. In Christ we too have been claimed as God's own possession, since we were predestined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, would be the praise of his glory. And when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now oftentimes in Methodist churches, we are afraid of reading this text because the word predestination is in there. And that's a Presbyterian thing. What Paul is saying is that God has set in motion the plan of salvation and there's nothing we can do about it. That we are invited to follow Jesus because God has invited us. That, that, that no one follows Jesus because they just think it's a good idea out of the blue someday. But that before we can follow Jesus, God has pursued us. We are following Jesus ultimately because God wants us to follow Jesus. And we respond in faith by actually following Jesus. While we were still in active rebellion, God sent his son into the world to live a sinless life, die a gruesome death, and be raised back to life for the purpose of defeating sin and death and raising us up to new life. So today we might feel stuck, but God doesn't want us to stay there. Because we are his children. We've been brought 
bought at a great price. We are destined to inherit the kingdom with Jesus. So no, we will not ultimately remain stuck. And like David, we must learn how to pray in a way that we are caught up in the Spirit and lifted to the next place where God desires us to be. Mother Teresa wrote in her journal that God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be, the mightier the forces against evil. When we pray, we are making an appeal to the God of the universe to intervene. I don't know about you, but I I struggle to comprehend the magnitude of that reality. That the source of life for the entire universe, that, 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 that the reason, I mean, like, so, quick physics lesson. We are all made up of matter, right? Atoms. And all atoms have a, 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 a nucleus, right? Or they, have, they have electrons and they have protons and, and they have neutrons. And they all spin around in this like cosmic dance on a microscopic level. And all of that happens because God wants it to. Uh, Likewise, uh, we live in a universe that is 92 billion light years wide that is held together because God wants it. The God who holds all things together on the nanoscopic level of bonds within atoms and likewise holds a 92 billion light year wide universe together. That God hears us when we pray and cares. That is mind-blowing. One of the ways that God continues to break through into our lives is through the practice of the sacraments. Because when we come to the Lord's table to receive the body and the blood of Christ, we participate with the church universal and the church eternal in receiving our daily bread and in waiting in anticipation for Jesus to return in all of his glory. When we gather at the table, God is present with us. So if today you find yourself stuck or at the end of your rope, I encourage you to come to the table with the confident assurance that the God who holds the cosmos together loves you and cares about you and hears you when you pray. 
And you can pray the prayer, Lord, lift me up to the rock that is higher than I. And you can trust that He will. When we come to the table, we recognize that we are jumping from the plane and that we can't control our outcomes. But that God is faithful and trustworthy. And when we humble ourselves and we ask to be lifted up near to Him, that He will hear our prayers. And He will lead us into His preferred future. So let's pray. Most holy and gracious God, we are overwhelmed by the truth that you love us, that you hear us when we pray, that you have numbered the hairs on our heads. Lord, give us the confidence to approach you with bold prayers, audacious prayers, prayers that, that, that aren't just uh, that you would help us be successful in what we're already going to do, but prayers for things to happen that we have no control over. Prayers for your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, as we come to your table, may we experience your power and presence once more. Be filled with your Holy Spirit to lead lives that honor and please and serve you. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory for you are truly worthy. Amen.